well done. A lot has happened in eight years. I agree. Um, We are uh, in week number nine in our uh, study through uh, the story. And uh, if you uh, have the story with you, you want to follow along there, it's page 121. This is a pretty short read this week, right? If you're reading along with us, hey, you get a little break. Uh, next week, give you a little heads up, a little longer. <laughs> so you might want to get a little early start. We're going to talk today about the faith of a foreign woman named Ruth. Uh, we are going to jog through four chapters fast. We're going to kind of do a quick... Uh, drink from the, the fire hose today, and uh, then we're going to see at the end why it's a book worth knowing. Uh, we're going to begin by uh, standing, and if you're able, would you stand with me? We're going to read uh, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. It really nicely summarizes what's going on, and we'll go from there. Would you read with me? Here we go. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Epaphrites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there for about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Let's pray. Lord, uh, guide us today as we uh, get to enjoy uh, the gem, the uh, wonderful uh, book that we call Ruth. So thank you for gifting us with this, with this book. Uh, help us to enjoy the story as we work through it now. Uh, and uh, I'm asking that as we dig into the very end section, we'll understand the major reason why you put it there in, in your book. Uh, we ask that your word and your spirit might be welcome today in your church. Lord, we're ready to hear from you. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one strong voice, you can be seated. Ruth chapter 1. little uh, uh, map, hopefully you can see it. Um, it's uh, kind of telling you the route, how to get from Bethlehem to Moab, 50 to 75 miles, depending on where they went exactly in Moab. But the situation is so dire, so difficult in Israel that Elimelech, husband of Naomi, and their two sons loaded up the truck and they moved to Moab. Okay, while they're in Moab, they're escaping the famine. Elimelech dies, dad dies, leaving Naomi and her sons without a husband, without a father. Verse 4, Ruth chapter 1 uh, Naomi's sons, Malon and Kilian, marry Moabite women. You can write this down, Numbers chapter 25. Uh, several thousand Jewish men uh, decide that the Moabite women are good looking and they start chasing after 
uh, Moabite skirts, and then they marry them. And in Numbers 25, verses 1 to 9, the Lord was harsh in the judgment. Very clear, stay away from foreign women, because if you get involved with foreign women, you're going to be involved with foreign gods. Judgment is harsh, you can read it there, Numbers 25. Uh, the sons had clearly blended in with Moabite culture. They, they felt so comfortable that they felt free to marry pagan idol-worshiping wives. Uh, some commentators say, and that's perhaps why verse 5 is there. Ruth chapter 1, the uh, two sons of Naomi die unexpectedly too. Now Naomi's left all alone with two Moabite daughter-in-laws. Got the picture? Uh, really bleak and sad situation. Naomi's left her family and her friends and her faith in Bethlehem. Now her husband has died. Now she's a widow. Now she's lost her two sons. Uh, verse 6, a little bit of hope. Chapter 1, Naomi hears the famine is over in Israel. Verse 7, she says, I think I'm going to go back home. I, th I think I want to go back to Bethlehem. So she heads home, and trailing along with her are the two Moabite daughters-in-law. Their names are Orpah and Ruth. Yes. So they're going to follow along. Uh, verses 8 to 13, they're, they're on the road back to Bethlehem. Naomi realizes they're heading back to home for her, but this is a foreign land for Orpah and Ruth. This is a strange land. Everything's going to be different. Uh, I'm not really good company right now. Why don't you just go back home? Why don't you go back to your families? Naomi argues this way, verses 8 to 13. I'm too old to get married again. But even if I got married tonight, and even if I started having children right away, are you really going to wait 20 years for a son to grow up so that he would marry you? Verse 13 kind of tells you how Naomi's feeling. I'm just a bitter, cursed woman. Jehovah God is out to get me. Just go home. And Orpah says, sounds good to me. Gives her a kiss. She heads back home. She's going back to uh, her family in Moab. Uh, and she's going to go back to her Moabite gods. But verses 16 to 18, some of you, if you listen to Christian radio, uh, if you smile on the FM, uh, you know the words to what Ruth says to Naomi, okay? Uh, in case you were thinking that that was a man to a woman, nope, sorry. This is Ruth to Naomi. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Can you sing? Where you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Yep. Did you know that's from here? Verses 16 to 18. So Chris didn't come up with those words, Mr. Tomlin, all on his own. Uh, he actually got those from Ruth, okay? Ruth is determined, I'm sticking with you, Naomi. So off they go, and they're headed to Bethlehem. Now when Naomi and Ruth enter Bethlehem, Naomi is the talk of the town. Uh, probably a pretty small town right here. And all the women, could this be Naomi? Uh, by the way, Naomi means delightful or pleasant or a very happy person. Uh, could this be happy who's come home? is delightful back in town. Uh, and if you look at verses 19 to 22, chapter 1, Naomi says, uh, I'm not Naomi anymore. I've changed my name. 
I'm no longer pleasant, delightful, and happy. Uh, my new name is Mara. Uh, Mara means bitter and angry. Uh, my new name uh, reflects how I feel right now. I'm angry. Uh, I went away full, and now I've come home empty. I've got no husband. I've got no sons. I am a bitter and an angry woman. Just, just call me Mara. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Look at it. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was, what does it say, verse 1? Boaz. Okay, it says, uh, this is not a relative, a blood relative of Naomi, but instead this is a blood relative of her deceased husband's family. Got it? Ruth 2, verse 2. Ruth's eager to get out of the house. I think I would be too, right? Sticking around with bitter and angry. No, no, I think I'm going to get out of the house. I'm going I'm to go see if I can rustle us up some food. She says, go ahead, my daughter. Uh, here's what you need to understand, okay? Leviticus 19, 9, and 10, uh, there was no food stamps. There was no aid from the state or the government. Instead, this is kind of interesting, Leviticus uh, 19, 9, and 10 tells all of the farmers, uh, don't harvest all of your fields. Leave the edges of the fields for the poor, for the widow, widows, excuse me, and the foreigners. And Ruth would have qualified on all three accounts. She was poor, she was a widow, and she was a foreigner. Uh, so she heads out, she's going to pick on the edges of the field and get some food. Verse 3, Ruth just happens by chance to pick the field that belongs to Naomi's relative. Any guesses? What's his name? Boaz. Yep, sure enough. Just happens. I'm sure that's coincidence. Uh, in verse 4, and just by coincidence, by chance that day, Boaz just happens to show up in that field. And at the very same time that Ruth's in that field, and he just happens to notice the stranger. And uh, he says to the foreman, uh, who, who's that? Who's that? Who is this stranger? And his foreman says, she's that Moabite woman that has come home with Naomi. Now, if this was a Hallmark movie, okay, this is what you'd get, the close-up shot. And you'd be thinking, could this be? Could this be a future couple? Okay, so they get the nice close-up shot of Ruth and Boaz. And he says to her, look at verses 7 to 17. You're always welcome in my field. You're always welcome to come here and to glean and take whatever you want, stay close to the other workers. Matter of fact, we've even got the water fountain over there. Help yourself to the water. And uh, I, I really appreciate what you're doing for my relative Naomi. Verse 12, here's what Boaz says to Naomi. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded, Ruth, by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings You've come to take refuge. Uh, verse 14, Boaz invites Ruth to have lunch with her, with him, excuse me, and he orders his men, be nice to her, protect her, uh, let her have anything she wants out there in the field. Uh, verse 18, she can't wait to go home and show Naomi her harvest. Verse 19, whose field did you glean at? How did you get such a great uh, amount of grain? How, how did all this happen? And Ruth is happy to tell Naomi, uh, well, your relative, Boaz, is the one who was so generous with me. Verse 22, 
uh, girls, stay in Boaz's field. You've got a good thing going. You really do. Ready? Chapter 3. We're moving fast, aren't we? Uh, verses 1 to 5. Naomi has a plan for Ruth's future. And she says pretty clearly, verses 1 to 5, we've got to get you married, girl. Yeah, this is not working out. We've got to find you another husband. Uh, we've got to give you a makeover quick. Uh, get your best clothes on. I want you to get your best perfume on. Uh, double brush your teeth. I want you to floss. Uh, right, Barb? Floss all the time. Uh, and then I want you to work really hard on that hair. It's a little frizzy, but I want you to get it down. I want you looking your best, girlfriend. So here's the plan. Here's the plan. Sneak down to Boaz's fleshing, threshing floor tonight, okay? But don't let Boaz know. Don't let Boaz know you're there. So you're kind of hiding out. Watch carefully where Boaz lies down to sleep. Again, don't worry, this is PG, because he's going to sleep with the harvest. Why? Because thieves love to come and steal the harvest. It was more valuable than money. So as long as the, the grain was there, he was going to sleep with his gold. This was what was very valuable. So he lies down right next to his grain. So lights go out, uh, Ruth runs up, lays down at his feet, and she takes a piece of his robe and puts it over her. Lies down next to his man feet. That, that's, that's obedience, don't you think? Uh, verses 5 and 6, chapter 3, uh, to her credit, she follows Naomi's plan with precision. And I, this, I, I think I'm going to pull this out. When we get to glory, I'm going to pull this video out because I think we can uh, but in the middle of the night, it's like Boaz turns over and suddenly he realizes something's there at his feet. And I'm sure he's wondering, what, what's at my feet? Uh, and he's startled to see a woman laying at his feet. Bachelors, be careful, wear socks to bed or you may wake up married. That's the moral of the story. Anyway, back, back to the text, okay? Why was she at his feet? Why was she doing this weird stuff? Uh, Leviticus 25.25, Leviticus 25.48 instructs Israel about redeeming the land. Okay? So this is how you pass land on to the next generation. And since Boaz is a near relative, I'm asking you, Boaz, would you please redeem the land of my dead husband and my, my, my deceased father-in-law? Uh, verse 12, chapter 3, look what it says. Uh, just got one little problem. Just got one little hitch in the giddy-up. There's one relative closer than me. So he gets first dibs. So we got to go to that relative, and we need to find out if he wants to redeem the land. Um, 3.13, I like this. But he says this to her. If he's not willing to redeem the land, if he doesn't want to buy the land and make you his wife, here's what you need to know. I'll do it. I promise I'll redeem the land if he's not willing. So Boaz, verses 15 to 18, chapter 3, sends Ruth home with a month's worth of food. And at dawn, Naomi and Ruth are so excited, and they're, they're so excited about what God is doing and the plan that's coming together. Chapter 4, here we go. Verses 1 to 4, uh, early the next morning, Boaz goes to the city gate, and just by coincidence, that closer relative just happens to walk by, right? Uh, and he finds ten elders 
And he says, hey, closer relative, uh, would you come with me? And he finds ten elders. Would you be the witnesses to this conversation? In chapter three, 4 and verse 3, uh, he says this, Naomi is back from Moab. Our relative, Naomi, is back from Moab now, and she wants to sell her land. Uh, and uh, I just want you to know that you are the closest relative. So I wanted these men to witness your response. Are you willing to redeem it? Verse 4, look what he says. Yes, I am. I could use some more land. And I always like that land where they live on. So he says, yes, I'm willing. Verse 5, Boaz lowers the boom, uh, tells him the rest of the story. Mr. Harvey would say that, right? Uh, you need to know that you're not just buying land. <laughs> you need to understand that when you buy this land, you're also buying a wife. Can you imagine? So, so you buy the land, you buy a wife. And uh, so... That's good. Tell these witnesses now you're going to buy the land and oh, you're going to buy uh, this new wife because this lady named Ruth needs to be redeemed as well. Um, verse 6, what, what does the nearest relative say? Uh, I don't think I'm interested anymore. That sounds like really expensive land. Uh, I appreciate you thinking of me. Thanks a lot. Got a lot to do today. You're the next redeemer. Hey, Boaz. The land is yours. The wife is yours. Help yourself. Verses uh, 9 to 11, Boaz turns to the elders, to the witnesses. What does he say? Uh, I'm willing to buy the property of Naomi. I'm willing to be the redeemer, verse 10, and I'm also agreeing to marry Ruth. She's going to be my wife. And he says that in front of the ten Witnesses And verses 11 and 12, they're excited for him. Elders, they say, nice job, Boaz. We always wanted you to get married. Uh, they, they offer a blessing to him. May you be blessed with children, Boaz. And it's going to be wonderful. And sure enough, verse 13, here's what happens. Uh, Boaz marries Ruth. And you'll see right there uh, that she gets pregnant. And uh, sure enough, they give birth to a baby boy. And they name him Obed, Obed. Uh, I say that almost every night before I go to sleep. Obed. You... Anyway, verse 17. I'm, I'm sure that has something to do with the name. Verse 17, chapter 4. Uh, and Obed, here's where it gets interesting, is the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of King David. So suddenly now Obed comes into the picture and verses 18 to 22, the book of Ruth ends with genealogy. Here's the family tree, okay? And I just want to kind of go through because here's how Ruth ends. And, I, and this is really why we get this section here is so we understand the significance of the book of Ruth. And here's what the author of Ruth is pointing out. Um, if you look up at the top, it says in red there, Tamar. Tamar, and she somehow gets in this lineage. And if you go back to Genesis 37, um, let me quickly, in a hopefully appropriate way, uh, Tamar's husband Ur dies. What was the last thing he said? Ur. Anyway, brother Onan then marries Tamar. Uh, he refuses to sleep with her. He dies too. Father-in-law Judah 
says, I'm not giving her any more of my boys. They all die, so he refuses to give her the next son. So she waits and she waits and she waits, and she realizes she's not going to be married. Uh, he's not going to give her uh, one of his sons. So she dresses up like a prostitute and seduces her father-in-law, Judah. And in Genesis 38 and verse 29, Tamar is pregnant, and she names the baby of her relations with father-in-law Judah. See there in the, in the, in the, in the lineage, the chronological order there? His name is Perez. Okay? So that's one of the first names mentioned. And then the spies coming into Jericho are in uh, Jericho back in the book of Joshua. Track with me. And a woman helps them, and her name is, you'll notice up here on the screen, Rahab. And her occupation, anybody remember in Joshua 2, 1, what was Rahab's occupation? Yeah, she was a prostitute. And then she lies to the king of Jericho, spies escape. Joshua 6, 25, uh, she lives when the walls come tumbling down. Uh, Ruth chapter 4 and verse 20, it says that uh, Rahab marries a big fish named Salmon. And Salmon was the father with Rahab of, anybody guess? Salmon and Rahab had a child, and his name was Boaz. Ooh, everything's kind of coming together. Uh, and, and then if, uh, you'll see that Ruth 4.22, pointing to Obed, you got Ruth, this former pagan who worshipped idols in Moab, is the father of Jesse, who's the son of King David. Um, and then... You'll recall, look here, King David, see in red off to the side, is this lady named Bathsheba. Remember that story in uh, First Samuel, excuse me, Second Samuel? Uh, she's taking baths every day right in front of the king's window. Uh, he finally calls for her. They have this affair. She gets pregnant. David tries to cover it up. What does he do? He sends Uriah into battle, tells the guys withdraw, and he is murdered. He is killed in battle. So we have in these closing verses of Ruth chapter 4, give me your eyes, four sinful, messed up women with reputations and pass. Now, um, why? Well, why would you want to highlight that, author of Ruth? Why, why would you want to kind of set out for us these four women and you're not hiding it and you're not covering it up? You got Tamar, who had a child with her father-in-law. Rahab, a former prostitute and liar. Ruth, a Moabite who worshipped idols in enemy land. And Bathsheba, who has an affair with the king and then is a co-conspirator in the murder of her husband. Turn with me in your Bibles quickly to Matthew chapter 1, would you? Because uh, these same women show up again in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, Matthew 1 1, here's what the genealogy is all about. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, so this is the genealogy of Jesus. Okay, slide down to verse 3, and it says, Judah is the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Are you kidding me? You're bringing up Genesis 37 when you're getting ready to have Jesus be born and opening up the New Testament? 
verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Really? You're going to mention the, the prostitute of Jericho being in the lineage of Jesus? Uh, verse 6, David, the father of Solomon, whose mother was Uriah's wife. Won't even call him David's wife. Uriah's wife is really who he was. Uh, but he had him killed so he could take her as his own. Kind of putting in flashing letters the sin that they committed. So both Ruth 4 and the very start of the New Testament kind of shout that the family tree of Jesus, give me your eyes, is filled with women with sinful reputations. It's just filled with women who, whose, whose past and reputations are, are really not good. So here's the obvious question, why? Why did the writers of Ruth and Matthew uh, not conceal this stuff. If you or I were writing, I think we'd say, uh, let, let's, let's just don't even include that. Or let's downplay the connection between Jesus and these sinful women. Uh, what's interesting, that's not what happens. Matter of fact, they seem to go out of their way to highlight and emphasize them. So why would they do that? Here's why. You ready? Look what it says here. It says, uh, Jesus... The Son of Man came to seek and to save who? Okay, 12 of you got it. The rest of you, the answer's up on the screen. Okay. Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save who? So it's, it's like right from the beginning, right from the very first verses of the New Testament, Luke chapter 19 and 10. Just want you to know, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's his mission statement. Give me your eyes. Jesus came to seek and to save sinners to himself. He came to earth for the Judas and the Tamars. Jesus came to earth for the Rahabs and the Ruths, for the Davids and the Bathshebas. That's why Jesus came and took on human form. Look what it says. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus is the seeker. And who are the runners? that Jesus runs after. Who is it? It's you and I. Uh, Jesus chases after us. Jesus came to earth to save to himself the nobodies, the rejects, the sinful misfits. Uh, let me say it like this. Jesus came to earth to save sinful goofballs like me. Can I get an amen? Come on, you can say it. And he came to save sinful goofballs like you. Can I hear an amen to that too? Yeah. That's just the reality. That's why he took on human form. So that you and I can be objects of his amazing grace. Some of you here, you've got a, a really messed up family tree. Some of you, yeah, I know, it's true. Uh, some of you here, you have major sin that's a part of your history. And here's the truth. Satan loves to use that against us, doesn't he? And anytime you start getting in the game and you're starting to be used, he whispers, you don't belong on his team. You've got a history. You've got a reputation. You're disposable. You're, you're useless. You're worthless. So when Jesus does that and, and says, no, no, I came for you, uh, and Satan's whispering at us, here's what we need to remember. Here's the verse of the week for you. You ready? This is uh, from 
uh, Romans 1.5. Yeah, thank you. I didn't write it down. Shame on me. Would you say it with me? There is now no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. Say it again. There is now for those who are in Jesus Christ. Can, can I suggest this should be like our verse of the week? Uh, and when Satan wants to whisper to you this next week, no, no, you're a misfit, you're a sinner, your history uh, is, is awful, Jesus can't use, no, you know, Jesus came for Tamars and the Rahabs and the Ruths and the Bathshebas. Jesus came to save sinners like you and like me. Bye, heads. Shut your eyes. I, I suspect uh, some of us, we think about our history, we think about our family tree, and we can identify. And here's the good news. Jesus came to earth to seek and save lost sinners. And sometimes we listen to those whispers and those lies, this condemnation and uh, condemning thoughts that come our way and we choose to allow them to pause, to back up and we don't get in the game. We don't follow Christ strong. Perhaps today um, you need to know Jesus is calling for you. Run home to Jesus. He's calling today.